Good morning, everyone. My name is Keith. I'm the lead and teaching pastor here at Grassroots. A warm welcome to you, especially if you're new today. Uh, if this is your first time, there are people with lanyards around, hanging around their necks that are happy to help you. Uh, they're wandering the halls. Uh, some are standing in the back. So if you need to find anything, just ask or ask the smiling person next to you. Uh, there's coffee and tea. The washrooms are through these doors and to the left. So hope, hope that you're finding everything that you need. Um, if you're new here today, uh, you may not know that this is my first week back in the saddle after having been off since March. It seems like such a long time ago. I took a four-month paternity leave. We just had a baby in October, Ethan, and he is, I guess, about nine months old now. And I got to spend a ton of time with him during the days and with Eve. Uh, it was lovely. And my, my oldest daughters, uh, I have two older daughters, and I was there to be able to get up, you know, meet them off the bus after school every day. It was awesome. Thank you so much. I know some of you um, played a small role and some of you played a big role in making that happen. And I just want to say thank you. And I'm so grateful. I feel refreshed and maybe a bit rusty, but uh, here we are. Anyway, um, also, if you're, you're new today, you may not know that this is the first week I'm standing on this little catwalk you know, out here, this extension. I, I'm, we're going to give this a try. Uh, it gives me a little more room, but this also means that uh, the communion tables are out to the side where they normally are here. So uh, if you have any sort of, if you feel like everyone's walking around not knowing where to go during communion time, that's why. Uh, so uh, we're, we're giving this a, a, a try, see how it works. Um, if you're on this side, I suppose you go to this table. If you're on this side, you go to this table. If you're an Enneagram type four and you want to break the mold and you're over here and want to go over here, that's totally great too. Up to you. Uh, anyway, I thought I'd just give us a little bit of instruction about that this morning. Um, last thing I want to say before I jump in here today is that at Grassroots Church, uh, the group of people that gathers here and worships God here together and follows Jesus here together, what we're up to, what we're trying to do in this community is see how much uh, of our attention and our love we can give to Jesus how much devotion we can give to him, and in return, be transformed into people who can love like Jesus is loved. So can we, as a group of people, this is our great project here, can we learn to cover the earth with the selfless love of Jesus? And as we do so, as we uh, stay uh, enamored with Jesus or try to keep our eyes on Jesus, um, some of the ways that I see this happening are so beautiful. And... Um, especially in times of crisis, in times of tragedy. I see this community come together, whether it's chopping wood together or making meals or being there for one another in conversations. I mean, you guys are incredible, and I'm really impressed with this community and the ways that it shows up in times of need. And so I want to say I love you, and you're beautiful, and I'm impressed with you, and keep up the really good work. Um, Keep up the good work and keep your eyes open. There's always opportunities to serve and love and show the love that Jesus first gave us. And I know that many of you do, do that in your own lives. So that's awesome. Um, but today, today is uh, kind of one of two sermons that I've got floating around in my head. Uh, because this week we're here. Next week we're going to be at Trowbridge Park. In, in case you didn't know, there'll be no one here Next week on Sunday morning, we're going to go out to Trowbridge. It's our kind of annual church in the park week. Uh, if you need directions or if you have any questions about that, don't hesitate to ask people today about where that is and, and what we do. It's like a Sunday school week for everyone. 
uh, Roots and Shoots is our Sunday school program. The kids are in the back every week, and they have a specific order of worship they go through in order to learn about God, encounter God. Uh, it's beautiful. So it gives all, all the adults, especially, a chance next week to experience what the kids experience every week. And so we'll go out there. We'll do our Roots and Shoots in the park. And then um, after that, we've got baptisms and dedications. So uh, weather permitting, we'll be, I'll go out to the bridge as we have in the past many years. We'll do some baptisms in the, in the stream below and some dedications. Uh, if it's raining and, and bad weather, which in Jesus' name it will not be. But if it's bad, we'll be here. And we'll do all of that with our uh, tank in, in the church here. So uh, there's that. And then the week after that is our final summer kind of worship service. And then Labor Day. So I've got this week and Labor Day to preach before fall kickoff. And I've got a few things in mind that I wanted to to kind of kick around together as I uh, encourage you, as I encourage you in your faith to go out and to live as disciples of Jesus. And they're pretty much basics, kind of back to the basics kind of things. So this week, talking a little bit about Jesus, why we obsess on him and what that looks like in our lives. And then on Labor Day, talking about how we keep our hearts maintained. What does it take to maintain our spiritual hearts and keep them healthy and alive and vibrant and going? So a little roadmap of where we're, where we're heading. But today, specifically, talking about obsessing on Jesus. Now, when I was in uh, high school, the, at the very end of my high school career, my dad and I built this loft for my bedroom. You know, like four posts, bed sleeping close to the ceiling, a desk underneath. We, it was like cherry red. It was beautiful. Uh, we, we built that together. And so for that year, my, my senior year, I slept up close to the ceiling. And then I went off to college and then slept close to the ceiling all those four years. And then we would, at the end of the year, we'd take it apart and take it home to my parents' house. Now, during this time, I started getting obsessed about Jesus. Like, I would, like, uh, spend tons of time reading the Gospels, thinking about Jesus. Uh, the more that I would read about him, the more that I would want to know. And so, uh, the budding artist that I never was, I put that on the ceiling above my loft, <laughs> I was like, in this time of my life, I just could not get enough. So I would lay there at night and just start drawing. You know, I had my dad send me this picture because they moved and they took a picture before they painted over it you know, for the new people. And um, my middle name is Michael, and he goes, his, his email said, artwork by Keith Michelangelo. <laughs> not quite, huh? Um, but at this time of my life, this is what it looked like for me to obsess on Jesus. I, I fell asleep every night for four years looking into this guy's eyes. And um, for all of us, all of us Christians, uh, whether we are, think of ourselves as readers or people who think a lot or whether we uh, think of ourselves as people who are better with our hands or whether, whatever trade we're in, all Christians of every kind, of every stripe are called to obsess on Jesus and uh, keep our eyes fixed on Jesus as much as possible. And I realized as I was uh, reading through Philippians recently that I wasn't so far off in this kind of obsession uh, in my younger years as Paul was in his life. And he gives us this memorable verse in Philippians 4.8, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. There's so much in our life, so much else that obsesses us, that we put our eyes upon, that we, that we go after. So much seems worth our time and our energy, but nothing 
nothing compares to knowing Jesus. So today I wanted to dig a little bit deeper around this verse in Philippians to see if there's anything that can help us, each of us on our journeys to becoming obsessed in knowing Christ. Uh, so here's the Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote that verse. He was a follower of Jesus. He lived just shortly after, after, after Jesus. I was trying to think of a comparison. He, he never knew him. He never saw him in person. So it was like, it'd be like one of your little kids right now um, who you know, never would know the living Billy Graham, something like that. Uh, but growing up and, um, and following Billy Graham and loving Billy Graham, it's that kind of thing. So Paul comes along a little bit after Jesus, never met him in person, uh, while Jesus was living on earth. And Paul was a Jewish, zealous Pharisee, which means that he not only was obsessed on knowing God's mind through the Old Testament and the Jewish law, but that means that for anyone he felt would be a threat to God's revelation of who he is, he was going to uh, persecute. He was going to uh, uh, treat them not, not too good. Uh, he would put them down. And that's just what, what he did. Now, the best way to understand this, if I can just take a moment here, the best way to understand what a zealous Pharisee would have experienced when they came up against a Christian is this. There are three central symbols of Judaism. The, the temple, where they made sacrifices and worshipped God. The food laws, what you can and cannot eat as a Jewish person. And... Um, the belief in the Torah, the word, the Old Testament, and the revelation of God through Moses' writings and the prophets. Those are the three things that mattered most. And Christianity comes along and challenges all three of those symbols. Jesus said, I am the temple. Destroy my body, this temple, and I will raise it up in three days. The Spirit of God lives in me now. Okay, you can imagine how that feels to a Jewish person. And not only that, but it's not what you put, Jesus said, it's not what you put in your mouth that makes you defiled, but what comes out of your heart. So Jesus is challenging food laws. And he's also saying things like, I am the word of life. I am the Torah incarnate. Okay, so all three of those things would make a Jewish zealous Pharisee very angry, okay? And so Paul, Paul is angry. And so because of this, and because of his identity, and, his identity and strength was in being a jealous Jewish Pharisee, he starts to uh, persecute Christians. He starts to go hunting, hunting Christians and putting them in jail. And he talks about this later when he, after he becomes a Christian. He talks about this being a great shame to him that he carried with him his whole life, that he would have uh, killed and persecuted the people uh, of God. So let's see what Paul says this, in, in the verse in the chapter before our, our memorable verse today. Paul says this, If someone else thinks they have reasons to put their confidence in their religious identity, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, uh, carrying the mark of God in his body, of the people of Israel, of the people who he re revealed to himself uh, on the, uh, in the Moses generation, of the tribe of Benjamin, which, by the way, was a really good type of tribe to be from for a couple of reasons. A uh, Hebrew of Hebrews, that means he was sticking close to his culture and his traditions. In regard to the law of Pharisee, he loved the law, obsessed on the law, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. If, if there was an I to dot and a T to cross in the Jewish law and following it, he did it. So that's what he says of himself. He was uh, someone who was obsessed 
with the law. Now, what happens is, is that uh, to Paul is that Jesus shows up to him in a vision and says, Paul, why are you doing these things? Why are you persecuting me? Why have you missed God's very heart? Stop it. And I'm going to send you out now to live among people who don't care anything about the temple. I'm going to send you among people who don't care anything about my food laws that were in the, from the Old Testament and the people who have, don't even know the, the story of God. I'm going to send you out to live your life among them. And you're going to be my witness among them. And so uh, he did that. And one of the first churches that he goes out and plants among the Gentiles is the church in Philippi. This little uh, city called Philippi. It's in uh, northern Greece today. And he plants his church. And uh, he shares life with them. He learns their ways. He loves them. And then he moves on to a different place. Uh, and to make a long story short, Paul was in prison. You can't see this picture very well. This is a good, a good uh, a picture of Paul in prison writing a letter. He was in prison, probably in a city called Ephesus, and he's writing to that church that he founded in Philippi. And there are some things that he's trying to tell them overall. Uh, he's encouraging them, giving them pastoral advice so that they might avoid being Christians and yet still enemies of God which Paul thought was possible to be a Christian and an enemy of God. So chew on that for a minute. He's, so he's helping them to know how not to do that. He's helping them so that they might learn to find meaning in their sufferings and rejoice because they were suffering and they were struggling. And does that sound familiar <laughs> to any of us as me? You know, like we, we, we suffer, we struggle, we don't know how to make meaning of it. And follow, Paul, Paul in Philippians is helping them do that. He's telling them that, uh, asking them to, to follow his ways so that their love might abound and they would grow and be like Christ's love, so they'd be like stars in the night, and that they might reach the resurrection and be made whole. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to Philippians in October and just go through the book, chunk by chunk, and do a Philippians series. Uh, but I wanted to focus in on, on our verse here today, the few verses where Paul encourages the Philippians to know Christ. And so here we go, uh, jumping off from where we left off. As for righteousness based on the law of faultless. But whatever were gains to me, all that stuff, my religious identity, all of that stuff to me, I now consider loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider all that garbage that I might gain Christ. So gains... Everything in his life, which he thought was a gain, he thought was garbage. And there is something of much more surpassing worth. There's a story in the, uh, the New Testament about a woman who was not of Israelite descent. She was a Canaanite woman or a Syrophoenician woman in, another, in two different accounts. She comes to Jesus as someone who stands outside the Jewish culture. Jesus was traveling on the borders of Israel, and he comes to her because his daughter is, her daughter is deathly sick. She wants Jesus to, to heal uh, her daughter. And so she comes, and we get this picture of Jesus and his disciples walking around a city, speaking good news, healing people. And, you, and, this, and this woman keeps following them and keeps saying, Jesus, son of David, uh, help me. Help me. She kept saying. And um, the disciples come to Jesus like, Jesus, do you hear this woman? Would you like, like, her to, like us to sort of shut her up and, and move her on? And Jesus says, no, let, let her come to me. 
And it's one of the most strange accounts, if you know the one, this one. But by the end of his encounter with this woman, Jesus is going to say, wow, this woman has great faith. She comes to him and says, my daughter is sick. Jesus, son of David, my Lord, save her. And Jesus says, I have come not for you, but to reach the lost sheep of Israel. Is it right to feed food to the dogs, which were meant for the children of God? I don't know if you hear the nastiness in what Jesus was saying. Now, if you know Jesus, you know he's not being nasty. You know he's He's doing one of two things. He's either testing his disciples who have a racism in them that he's trying to call out and, and condemn, or he's trying to see just how much this woman really is devoted to him. Because she's, she's not of the Jewish people, but she's calling him Lord. She's got, she understands who Jesus, she understands the surpassing worth of who this Jesus is and what it means to get to him. And so she says, you're wrong, Jesus. Even the dogs eat the scraps of the children. And so you get the message that she's like, I'm, I'm okay, you can call me a dog, whatever you want, Jesus. Jesus doesn't think of her as a dog. He thinks of her as a precious daughter who's got more faith than his disciples. And, and he starts to smile after she says this and says, you're right, um, and your daughter from this day will be healed. And, she, and, the, and his daughter was healed. This woman understood the surpassing worth of Jesus, and she had all of, her, all of the reasons to put up her defenses, all of the things of her identity which she keeps so, felt was so sacred. She had all of those things that would cause her to put her fists up in, in every, any normal situation. And Jesus, Jesus was like testing her. It's like, you know what? You understand who I am, and you don't understand what it takes to get to me. And so your daughter is healed, you woman of great faith. So what is it to us? that gets in the way of standing between our, us and our search for Jesus? What, is, what do we think of as gains? Is it our bank accounts, the search after money? What is it, our, our social media accounts, you know, the things that we want to do to create influence? Is it the influence of our life that we think is going to gain us something? Is it the popularity and how attractive we can be to other people? Like, what are the things which you think are worth your time and energy? And if you don't know the answer to these, go home for one week and make a calendar of everything you do during the week. You'll find out where you devote your time, all right? And that's what is of surpassing worth to you. Uh, but what is it? Is it your opinions? Where you've gone to school? What is it that you feel like so proud of about yourself? And Paul says, for him, all those things are like garbage to me now compared to the surpassing worth of getting to Jesus. Uh, I don't know, do some of you know this island? Does anyone watch the Discovery Channel or History Channel? No one in here? Oak Island? Has anyone heard of Oak Island? Over, out in Nova Scotia? Okay, you guys know of Oak Island. I had a cousin who I was, a little cousin, he's like uh, six years old. I was like, so what do you like to do? He's like, I like to watch the show about Oak Island. <laughs> and he's like, you live in Canada. Can I come visit you? Do you live by Oak Island? I'm like, you're in New Jersey, buddy. You're closer than I am, you know? Uh, but this is an island, and there's a whole TV show around it, where in, um, I don't know, I don't know what the year was, the 1655 or something like this, William Kidd, the... Um, one of the, the, the buccaneers of that day was supposed to have hidden treasure on this island. 
And there are some people who are convinced that this treasure is there. And they've, I think they're in season six now of the treasure hunt to see if they can find the treasure of Oak Island. And every, every year they're like, they're going to find it, but then they don't. Uh, you know, and I think they've, they've come across awesome coins and some fun stuff. Um, but supposedly this island in Nova Scotia has got something of surpassing worth that they're probably going to make 10 seasons out of it. Um, like, uh, I felt bad because I was like, he's like, I don't know, my cousin, he's like, I don't know when they're going to find the treasure. I'm like, probably in season 10. Like, okay, maybe I shouldn't have been so cynical. Um, but there are people who, who uh, have spent their whole life on this island trying to find this treasure. Uh, but what about Paul? What does he say? Everything else is garbage, but I'm going to search like these people to know Christ Jesus, my Lord. And when we look at Jesus, when we start really to pay attention, read the Gospels, understand him in his time and place, experiencing him in prayer, we start to see just what a treasure he is. And when you look close at the Gospels, you see someone who was willing to carry great emotional burdens. Like he spent a lot of time in his life grieving. And yet while he was grieving, he was able and willing to help people to go way beyond himself to heal those around him who needed healing. We see a guy who was not defined by others' expectations. He had so many people who wanted to make Jesus into something that he wasn't, and he would never be willing to, to let other people define him. He challenged the racisms of his day and was not afraid to be direct. He cared deeply for the word of God spoken through the prophets and loved his Jewish traditions. Uh, and yet he found and he believed that there was human tradition, human religion that had seeped into the Jewish way of life. And he was challenging that and pushing it back, trying to bring people back to the heart of God. He was speaking about truths like Plato and Aristotle. He was some of the, one of the greatest thinkers of all time. And yet he was able to manipulate physics at his will. And by that, I mean walk on water and make a meal for 5,000 people out of five loaves and two fish. He was someone who found, he thought himself not just spectacular like this, but on a deeper mission. And his disciples, he was slowly letting in on the trick, on, on, on the secret. I'm here not just to help those around me, but I've found a way to defeat death itself. And I'm gonna rescue humanity from death itself. And if he, as he said to his disciples, if you would follow me, if you would take up your cross daily and live that kind of sacrificial life, you'll be the type of people who will help me to defeat death itself. Like this was a spectacular human being and someone who when we understand him in his social context and see the wider picture, and we, he started saying things like, I and the Father are one. And he, when, he, when he came and showed up and did things like the Jewish people were expecting only God to do. And when he came and he, uh, when he healed all these people and said to them, I'm going to show you and give you the power to live in God's new age, then good monotheistic Jews began worshiping him after his resurrection very quickly. All of this should snap our attention out of whatever we think is worthwhile and understand the treasure of Jesus. So if you hear the message in your, in your life, like I'm about to share with you now, that the Jewish Messiah died 2,000 years ago and was raised back to life 
and something burns in your heart and all of a sudden it starts to make sense of everything around you. You know that you've come close to the treasure of this man and this God. And so Paul, Paul knew this. You know, he goes on in Philippians to say, I want to know Christ. And the knowledge of Christ goes into so much treasure. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection, and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. I mean, th the first thing that strikes me of this verse is this. Jesus wants to call us to him, to be close to him, because he wants to give us his love. Deep in our hearts, he wants to convince us that we are lovely and, and, and his children and, his, and, and beloved. He wants us in our prayer life, he wants to, to whisper those words of love over us that no other human being can con confirm in us. But he wants not just, he doesn't want just us. He wants something for us. He wants us to know the power of his resurrection, okay? He wants us to have power in our life to be changed and transformed and be made whole. He, he says, come to me, and I'm going to guide you to life change. He wants us, uh, Paul says, I want to know the participation in his sufferings and uh, becoming like Jesus in his death. And this is where I say Christianity involves finding meaning in suffering. It's the centerpiece, almost, of what we're up to. Like, I know your life is hard, and it, I'm, I'm sure a lot harder than many other people know. My life is a lot harder than any other people know. I, I'm still coming to terms with some of the stuff that I've gone through. And I know you guys are continuing, some of you, to go through amazingly difficult, terrible things. And Paul was someone who said to know Christ, to come to him, is to learn what to do with that. To learn what to do with the suffering. There's no other outlet in life that will heal you of your sufferings like Jesus. But Paul says... Later on, he's like, in Philippians, I've learned to be content, whether plenty or in want, during times of great peril and trial or times of great abundance. All that doesn't matter to me because I've found Christ. I've grappled, grappled onto him and I, I'm holding him tight. Um, um, but it's easy to forget, isn't it? It's easy to forget to search after Jesus in our life. I mean, Jesus told us, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and he will deceive and will deceive many. I mean, there are so many things in this life which claim to be the treasure, the true treasure. And we, we forget. We forget Jesus. We turn our eyes to them. We, our, our life gets crazy. Our life gets filled with all sorts of uh, things. Um, and, and I think that we forget Jesus a lot. We forget Jesus when we just don't even think of him for weeks or months on end, uh, when we forget our, uh, we forget Jesus when we put our minds on money, or pleasure, or prestige. We forget him when we turn him into whatever agenda we are championing, the championing of that agenda. You know, we, there's so many ways we can forget the real Jesus. And for Paul, he was chasing after his own status, but what is it for us? What is it that we chase after? Um, but here's the thing, friends. If we want this faith to work, if we want the, to know the power of the resurrection, if we want to know what to do and find meaning in our suffering, we've got to be obsessed on our search for Jesus. Our whole spiritual life depends upon it. Uh, so how do we do that? Uh, last, last few things here before we're done today. I just want to get 
a little practical because uh, you, you might be thinking, okay, Keith, you know, you don't know my situation. You don't know my responsibilities. You don't know what I, I'm going through, and that's true, I don't. And I'm sure that you are doing and the best with your life that you know how to do. I'm convinced of that. Um, and I'm not saying that if you're not searching after Jesus obsessively, you're a bad person or a bad Christian, like, or, or that I'm not adding another thing to do on your to-do list. If, if you're thinking I'm saying those things, like those are dead ends, those ways of thinking about adding Jesus to our life. What I'm saying to you is if you want the greatest treasure in all of the universe, you've got to build your life around Jesus. And I'm trying to convince you that it's worth it. So... Um, worth that building around. So I'm going to give you some pieces of, of advice today on, on how to do this and um, see what it takes. So study the Gospels, study history, and encounter Jesus in prayer. These are three tried and true ways to come to know, to know Jesus. And so studying the Gospels, uh, these four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're near kind of the three-quarters mark of your Bible. These are the biographies of Jesus. These are the clearest pictures we have of who Jesus was, what he was about, uh, what he taught, and, and who he was on this when he lived um, 2,000 years ago. Uh, the step one of studying Jesus this way is get a Bible and get a journal. And you go slowly through each verse, verse by verse, and take it in deeply. Right now, I'm doing it. I mean, it's basics of Christianity, but I'm doing it in, in my life. I'm, I'm in Matthew right now, Matthew 16. And I go through two or three verses a day where I write out the verse, and then I, then I put a little paragraph marker in my Word document, and I put it in my own words. And I, it starts to get bigger, and there's more, and I start getting my mind into the text and into Jesus' life and what he was saying and what he was doing. And so take a few verses, get a journal, talk a little, write out a little bit of what, what's hitting you. Imagine yourself as a character. You know, uh, go, go into one of the stories and, and find out who, who I'm, I'm, I'm I most identifying with in this story. What, what must have they been feeling? What must have they been going through? And what did Jesus' Jesus's words and actions really mean to them? Study the, this is studying the Gospels. This isn't just going in and reading it and thinking that it's penetrated your heart. You don't, this is not, not about getting this information here. It's about getting the information from here to here. Study the Gospels little bit by little bit. Or go for the overviews. You know, uh, sit down and get an audio version or read it out loud yourself. Mark will take you an hour and a half. <laughs> John will take you two hours. And Matthew and Luke will take you two and a half hours. I don't know. I just spent two and a half hours last night playing Minecraft. Okay. <laughs> I've got an amazing world going, okay? It's awesome. But um, I think really just reading a gospel of John out loud for two, two hours, like how, how difficult does that seem compared to what we do on, the, on a normal basis? And it's great. Get the overview. When you get the overview, you're going to see things that you don't get when you're down among the details. But it's a great way to get the big picture. Uh, or read some books about Jesus. There's plenty. There's some in the library here. There's plenty of books about Jesus. Go and find one. So that's, I mean, the thing that we realize, and I'll get to the prayer in a second, but the Jesus who's alive and active today, the one who we draw close to in our prayer life, is the same Palestinian Jewish man that lived 2,000 years ago. 
So when you read the Gospels, when you learn about the man in history, you're learning about the person you're encountering daily. And so uh, we do this because uh, we do history because um, we, study, we study Jesus in his time because that helps us to, pre- it prevents us from making him into our own image, a man after our own agendas. Uh, it lets him stay an individual who's got his own mind. And so if, if you want to get into Jewish history, there's so much there. There's a lot, Josephus, there's Philo, there's uh, all sorts of history that you can read. Uh, but I, I would say the place to start is with others who have done the work for you. <laughs> okay, so the shadow of the Galilean here. If you've never read this book, I'd really encourage you. It's, a, it's like a fictional account of a person who's following Jesus' footsteps. And, he, and, and they, he follows him. He's trying to find Jesus and trying to find who, who is Jesus. Um, this famous guy who's healing all these people. He's trying to catch up with him. And bit by bit, he's going into the different parts of the Jewish culture of the time. He's, he visits the, the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Essenes who wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls, and he visits the Pharisees, and he visits Sadducees, and he visits the Zealots. And you get to know who the, the kind of the cultural movements of the day, and it's a really good read. Uh, Shadow of the Galilee, and you're always trying to chase after who this Jesus is. Or if you want more of a nonfiction kind of book, and who writes the challenge of Jesus, does this work for you? Uh, when you read this parable, or hear the parable of the uh, lost uh, the, um, oh, who's the the, um, the the two sons? What's that parable called? Prodigal. prodigal son, thank you. Basics, right? Um, a parable of the prodigal son. You realize that, okay, this is about people who wander from the faith. That can be true too. But this is more about an older brother, the Jewish people, who are trying to come to terms with the younger brother, the Gentiles, coming into the fold of God. Okay, so it, it, knowing history matters a lot. Um, so, and, and I'll, I'll just testify, I've been doing this for 20 years. When you get to know Jesus as a Palestinian Jew, you fall deeper and deeper in love with what he was doing in his time and his place. So, we read the Gospels, we study history, and we cling to the cross in prayer. We t- uh, tune in to the Master in his living presence by learning uh, and listening to what he wants to teach us today. We learn to pray Jesus' prayer. We listen to our life situations, the dreams we have. Um, We can harness our imaginations. For the first probably five years of my Christian life, I had this place in my imagination called the grotto. It's kind of a neat kind of word, the grotto. And it was like almost like a Stonehenge kind of place. It was out in the woods, and Jesus was sitting on a pillar in the middle of the grotto. And I would, in my imagination, go and sit at his feet, and we'd talk. And it, was a, it was an imagination thing. I don't think it was really happening. And once I get to the other side, if the grotto is there, I'm going to be really happy. And I haven't yet built the grotto in Minecraft. I, I should probably do that. Um, <laughs> but I would go there, and that's where I would spend time with Jesus. That's where I would look into his eyes and try to hear from him today about what's happening in my heart. And slowly and over the course of time, uh, Jesus did some amazing stuff in me during that, those years. Uh, but again, as we pray, as we do history, we always come back to the Gospels because that's the clearest picture we have. I mean, if the Jesus of the Gospels is conflicting with the Jesus of your prayers, you've got some work to do uh, to understand Jesus. So we all do. So at the end of the day, how do we do this? Study the Gospels, study history, and encounter Jesus in prayer. And I think the real question 
probably that all of us wrestle with is how do we orbit our lives around this guy? How do we orbit around Jesus? A couple pieces of thought, advice here. Find the best time of your day and search for Jesus then. Like when are you most productive? When, when it's like you're most awake? It's probably the time that you're at work. Can you like over the course of six months, a year, build your life up so that during the best, for me it's like 9.30. So from 9.30 to 10.30, you'll find me in my study praying and reading the Gospels because uh, that's the, the time, that's, that's, I, I consider Jesus that worth it. And um, then I go on with the rest of my day. So find the best time and day and search for Jesus then. Uh, just remember your basic needs, food, shelter, clothing, medicine, Jesus. <laughs> okay, basic needs of life. Yeah, if you can let your mind um, understand that. Uh, you'll, you'll be far down the road. And, and, little, and a little piece of challenge. Find one way this week to turn your eyes to Jesus. What's one way, one little way, that you already know that you can find some time to obsess on Jesus? Paul, Paul finishes out his, some of these thoughts in Philippians in chapter 2 here like this. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. I mean, I think that all of us would want that, right? We want to stand firm in the midst of a whole world that would try to twist us. We want to be blameless and pure. We would love to be the kind of people to, that does everything without grumbling, right? Or arguing. Like the, to be transformed so deeply that our love becomes to look like Jesus' love. That's the whole point of Philippians 2. Children of God without fault in a warped generation so that we can shine like stars. If you want to shine like stars, if you want to be illuminescent, if you want to be bright, if you want to be like inspirational people in the world around you, if you want to join God at all, you hold firmly to the word of life. And, that, and Paul, that's a kind of a wink from Paul. That's Jesus. You hold firmly to Jesus who is the word of life. And I don't know what that's going to look like for each person here. That's going to look very different for each person. But my challenge to you, my invitation to you this week, and as you go forward as a Christian, is to think, how can you learn to obsess on the greatest treasure and become like stars shining in the dark night. So, however this hits you, uh, I invite you not to respond. We have uh, some bread. We've got some juice. Jesus, uh, when he was with his disciples, said as, as often as you do this meal, you're going to have to do it a lot because you're going to have to remember me because it's so easy to forget me. Remember that I, was, I suffered, I died, I was broken, I went into the grave, and yet God was there. He's not weaker than death, he's stronger than death. My body was broken, and I did this so that you could follow, and I did it so that you could live. And he's like, remember me, remember this life. Take a piece of bread, dip it in the, the juice, and remember that my body was broken for you, you, and my blood was poured out for you. And as we do so, we come remembering that we are together, a community of people gathered in Jesus' name, and we come together bringing our prayers. So whatever it is that you have 
on your heart today, whatever has hit you or whatever is sticking to you. I invite you now to bring that forward uh, to, to participate in communion and um, see what God would have to do. We have a couple more songs after that and uh, make this a time of prayer. So the table is set and everyone here is welcome.